Hi, and welcome to Take Every Thought Captive, our weekly look at the Catholic intellectual tradition and an exploration of the authors, books, and topics that have shaped Catholic thinking for 2,000 years. I'm Dr. Richard Bolzakelli, lecturer in theology at Catholic Studies Academy, in for Jason Gale. And I'm joined this week by Dr. Benjamin Smith, our lecturer in philosophy, who's done a good deal of work in the area of political philosophy. And that's a good thing, because today we'll be talking about monarchy and Christianity. Today's discussion is inspired by the recent passing of Queen Elizabeth II. In light of this historic moment, the end of a 70-year reign of a monumental figure and perhaps the last monarch who will ever reign over a predominantly Christian Britain, mm -hmm. we thought it would be valuable for our listeners to consider the historical, philosophical, and theological meaning and value of monarchy and why it's been a predominant form of governance in Christendom for, well, until very recently in history. Sure. So before we get started, don't forget to hit the like and subscribe button, um, subscribe to our channel, select notifications, and of course, share our content with your friends. So, Dr. Smith, uh, why don't you get us started? What are your initial thoughts? Sure. Yeah, so I think it's good, to, uh, you know, we can think about um, monarchy in a lot of different ways. We can think about it sort of, you know, kind of from a, a very abstract kind of um, taxonomy right of uh, various regimes it is good to think of it as a kind of regime that is a form of rulership uh you know in classical political philosophy we recognize that there are a whole variety of forms of government uh that can be exercised um you know we're very used to of course you know some form of polity or democracy um but uh nevertheless you know historically you know monarchy has been very prevalent uh, uh throughout the world and then especially interestingly enough, you know, Christianity and the Christian, various Christian nations, uh, historically, um, monarchy, Christian monarchy in particular, has been a very prevalent model. Uh, and so I think it's, uh, you know, interesting to think about the realities of Christian monarchy in particular, right? Uh, what was it? Uh, what, it what was it not? Um, and I think it's especially useful for, you know, uh, 21st century uh, people, especially maybe Americans, you know, we have a uh, maybe a sort of a antipathy towards monarchy. As soon as we uh -huh. think of monarchy, we think of something sort of absolutist or uh, tyrannical or something like that. And that's actually, I think, you know, pretty far from the case uh, when we look at the historical realities of Christian yeah. uh, monarchy. In the aggregate, right? So that's if right. We, should, we can look at episodes mm -hmm. where monarchs became tyrants. Sure. But um, that... What you're saying, and I think this is right, I think it, it's not the norm, actually. No, no, yeah. I mean, I think you could find, you know, good and uh, good and bad monarchies and, and monarchs, just like you can find good and bad presidents and senators. I mean, right, you, know, the, right. it, 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 you know, monarchy has no uh, monopoly on corruption. <laughs> right. right. Or, or, or I would say, uh, or I would say, nor does it have um, any monopoly on, like, tyranny, absolute sure. dictatorship. That's right. Yeah. I mean, if you think, interestingly, our modern forms of um, totalitarianism that we think about, you know, really are party systems mm -hmm. uh, where, you know, basically a network of bureaucrats and state officials right. um, sort of take over and you don't really have sort of the the monarch in any traditional sense. Yeah. So I think it's good, though, to try to limit our, our discussion here to particularly Christian monarchy as it developed in the medieval period and really even into the, the modern period. I mean, we think I could think of you know, the last great Christian monarchs uh, who are real monarchs 
would be uh, in terms of uh, wielding real power, right? Would be, um, you know, would be the monarchs who lost the First World War, <laughs> oddly enough, you know, you think mm -hmm. about, you know, the German uh, Kaiser, uh, you think about um, the Tsar, and you think about uh, the whole, um, the Austro-Hungarian emperor, right? Mm -hmm. um, you know, the last of the Habsburgs, right? Um, those, you know, I mean, that's another 20th century, right? Yeah. <laughs> that you have, you know, uh, monarch, Christian monarchs with, um, you know, real regal power, right? Um, and into uh, the early 20th century. So what, 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 what do we want to say there about them? I think it's important to lay out some distinctions early on here. One is that there's a misperception that Christian monarchy is always tied up with the divine right of kings, right? Yeah. Right. You, know, you hear that often. Uh, and that's not necessarily the case. In fact, I would say that that's the minority model. And in particular, an early Enlightenment and Renaissance view of monarchy. Um, certainly, you could say from a Christian perspective that anybody who ends up in political leadership has a vocation, right, to, yeah. to, you know, to, to political leadership. Maybe depending on, how, on your view of providence, you could say that providentially they have the, this position, but that's uh, a little different than the divine right. Divine well, right, I is, think. Yeah. yeah. So let, let me let me let me interrupt you there because um, we this is a difficult question because when you mm. say divine right, mm -hmm. right, when those words come out of the mouth of a contemporary person, what they mm -hmm. mean is, um, I mean, this is what I was taught about it when I was in mm. school was um that the king could basically do whatever he wants because um because he has the authority of god he's a complete autocrat that's right that's um, right and 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 tied into however, that is that he's selected by god yeah right right very specifically right. and particularly good right so um however though in the language of the church the co the concept of divine right was a real thing uh even mm -hmm. in the middle ages mm -hmm. and um but it didn't mean that. That's right. Yeah, it didn't right? mean this it, latter. And I, I yeah. want to be clear on that because if we're digging through documents, we're digging through church um, statements, mm -hmm. right? We might come across this phrase divine right. Mm -hmm. um, but actually, right, in the Middle Ages, divine right was, was a concept that controlled and limited the power of the monarch. It didn't, That's right. It didn't unleash it in some absolute sense. That's right. Yeah. And I think, you know, we tend to associate divine right with that latter sort of absolutist model. Right. Yeah. Um, I would say that that's not correct. Now, you can say that any po legitimate political regime. Right. Yeah. So any politi legitimate political regime. What do I mean by that? I mean by that any regime that promotes the common good in a way that's in keeping with the legal customs of that country. Right. Um, which could be right. A monarch it could be a republic. It could be an aristocracy. It could be a mixture of those things, right? Uh -huh. um, that uh, any legitimate uh, regime has authority, right? That is not just the power to rule, but the moral right to command, right? Because by God's design, human beings mm -hmm. uh, are made to live within the context of social and political organization. That's right. Absolutely. Yep. Correct. Um, uh, and so they have that right, uh, and in a sense, ultimately from God, right? You can mm -hmm. say from the natural law, from the eternal law, uh, so that, you know, 
if you want to look at sort of the you know very traditional was to think of the 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 king as the as a minister of god's justice right uh-huh. as you know uh kind of pulling on that pauline language um but again as you say uh rich that both grounds the power of the regime again whether it's a democracy or a um uh a monarchy but also limits it right mm-hmm. so there is that sort of you know uh, connection to um authority and authority ultimately from god like all authorities are established by god you know that kind of uh idea but yeah. not in the absolutist sense of the divine right so that and that's very important i think to understand for the medieval christian monarchies and even early modern monarchies right that they did have authority and that authority was thought to be grounded in a sort of divine claim but it's not an absolutist claim right so i, I think um what I'm kind of interested in right now is asking mm. what is the value of monarchy mm. as such? Why is it that this particular um, that this particular model of governance had really been favored for so long within uh, Christendom? Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, I have some theological answers to that question, mm-hmm. I think. Mm-hmm. Um, I know what the church has said about it. Mm-hmm. But it's very interesting that, sure. It's very interesting that as new forms of government became more popular, mm-hmm. um, the magisterium of the church was actually pretty resistant to the change. Mm-hmm. It wasn't like, well, you know, things change and <laughs> this right, is right. totally legitimate innovations. Um, we don't need monarchs. Mm-hmm. That wasn't the attitude of the church. It's a right. very late development mm-hmm. that... Um, the idea of democracy of any kind was was really sort of uh, promoted within within the Catholic magisterium. That's true. Yeah, yeah. I mean, we could you say certainly uh, within the Catholic tradition, there's a strong um, insistence on just monarchy, right? Uh-huh. And and drawing the limits of just monarchy. Uh, you know, I would want to contend that all Christian monarchies have always been constitutional monarchies, maybe not in the way that we think of it today, but in the, that they're, that in anywhere, I'm most familiar with England, but in any place like uh, England, you know, there are, there were limits, right. On what the monarch could do uh, of all sorts, you know, moral, practical, uh, mm-hmm. political, legal, um, almost every coronation oath in, involves the king promising to uphold the laws and customs of the realm, right? right. You know, that, uh, you know, he wasn't seen as somebody who could just do whatever he wanted. Um, and if he did, if he emerged as a tyrant, the church mm-hmm. actually endorsed under extreme circumstances, tyrannicide. Sure. Sure. And right. it happened too. Like we know, uh-huh. like, like there are Kings who lost their throne because they just, they over, they overshot, you know, uh-huh. uh, they went too far. I mean, one thing you could definitely say, uh, I was, I'll give you two thoughts here about why this is particularly attractive to me. Maybe historically was particularly attractive to Christians. One is just a general philosophical argument that you find in a lot of the mirror of princes argument, uh, form of literature you know we have T- thomas aquinas's day regno but there are many other mm-hmm. versions of this language of this kind of literature which are the mirror of princes is like a little handbook that you write to sort of teach the prince 
how he ought to rule, right? Uh-huh. Um, and one of the arguments, you know, most customary, and this actually goes also back to John of Salisbury, is that the idea of uh, imitating God, imitating nature, right, in the sense of unity of rule, right? That there needs to be, at the end of the day, in any organization, any community, in any society, there needs to be some source of unity. That unity can be the end and the purpose, and that's good. But mm-hmm. even better if you have sort of both a unity in the end and in the agent. So that just at a practical level, right, you know, I mean, any corporation, for example, you know, you're going to have uh, a CEO, <laughs> right? You're going to mm-hmm. have, you know, a chief executive officer, to put it in that kind of language, um, who finally says, and 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 we shall do this option, right? Uh-huh. <laughs> you know, uh, of the various options that are there. Um you know, if you've ever been on a committee, right? mm-hmm. we have been, right? You know, yeah. at some point, you know, you need resolution, right? And right, it, right. And you sometimes can't just endlessly maybe, talk. That's right. That's <laughs> right. You know, and sometimes you might be able to reach a consensus that's that's so clear that you don't need sort of an executive uh, intervention. But the other times you do, you know, um, mm-hmm. and you can see, uh, you know one of the advantages at least in principle of a monarchy is there's a unity there that i think we kind of lack in a republic mm-hmm. um that's not to say that there aren't other forms of unity that a republic could have right mm-hmm. in terms of culture religion um uh, um ethnos you know ethos or whatever like but there is a kind of sense of like here's the king, right? And the king or the monarch or the sovereign is one person, right? Mm -hmm. And we're all devoted and loyal to that one person, even if we might fight underneath that one person, right? If you don't have that one person, then you're kind of like where we are now, like in our current Republic, right? Where we just, like, there's no unity over the parties. You know, it's really interesting. There's yeah. just factions. You know? What's really interesting, that's right. What's really interesting is, and I, I began to see this during the Obama administration, more during the Trump administration. Um, it, it's that, you know, you the guy you didn't vote for, you don't really recognize as uh, legitimate or something. <laughs> right, right. And, yeah. um, and so... Not my president kind of thing. Not my president, right. That yeah, phrase, right. you see bumper stickers, right? Yeah. Um, so and literally that's not true right constitutionally yeah. i mean you might you know I mean, in some way you might say you know go pound dirt yeah yeah, yeah he right, is the president right, right? but yeah. emotionally and psychologically and culturally you're totally right right yeah right now here's the thing right so here's the flip side of it mm-hmm. um the people who do like that president right they might come out with phrases like um like uh you know stop dishonoring my stop dishonoring our president mm-hmm. and what they're intuitively grasping at is actually the value of um of a monarch right yeah sure um mm-hmm. and you you've got to have um you've got to rally around something but you can't mm-hmm. really rally around a president in the way that you could rally around a monarch because yeah. the president is elected every four years or every sure i mean you you the whole point is if you don't like them you could kick them out you can get rid of them right yeah you know whereas right. the bar That's for right. doing that in a monarchy is extremely high yeah and you know the presidency i would actually say in the united states has become 
I think under like the idea for Washington's vision, I don't get too distracted here by this, but I mean, I think Washington's vision of the presidency was supposed to be sort of like that, right? Uh-huh. That the presidency, the president somewhere almost kind of above the fray yeah. and kind of intervenes when necessary. Um but really sort of has this kind of moral standing for the nation. Oh, we're so, right? Yeah. But uh, yeah, but I think you're right, especially the temporality of it. I mean, the, it's four years and it's gone, four years and gone. And then as the power of the presidency has grown, right, of course, the polemics and the partisanship around the presidency have also grown, right? Right. Um, a second idea maybe that makes, uh, so unity is one, right, mm-hmm. uh, idea. A second thing that I think might, be attractive to Christians about monarchy historically is it's kind of abstract and hard to baptize a state, mm-hmm. right? Like, you know, or a constitution or a bureaucracy, right? You know, there's no, you could maybe try to design a Christian constitution, right? But still, it's kind of a piece of paper with a set of rules. You know what I mean? Uh, whereas you can baptize a Christian man, right? You can baptize a man, right? A human being, right? And you yeah. can, and and by doing so, make the sovereign Christian. Yeah. Right. right. Does that make sense? Yeah, it totally does. Um, when you do that, right? You at least, in theory, mm-hmm. get a kind of guarantee and promise, right? Mm-hmm. that um, the exercise of that person's authority will be restrained within the moral uh, right. bounds of Christendom. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, I mean, think that's fallible. The... So there's no guarantee really, of course. but yeah, but at least and you that's... get a, a, a pledge, right? Yeah. You get a pledge and it's symbolized, right. Uh, by the anointing, right. Yeah. There's, they're actually anointed, kings, right. Yeah. Receive. Yeah. And there you, I mean, you're, you're taking on in a really vocational way, Right. Yeah. I am, uh, uh, this is my Christian task, right? The way I am going to live out my Christian uh, vocation, my baptismal vows, is as ruler and king. Yeah. Um, And I'm going to, you know, be guided, at the very least, be guided by uh, divine law, sacraments, gifts of the Holy Spirit, and all that uh, in my rulership. So, so really, uh, it's akin to, right? It's akin to taking religious vows. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Sure. Yeah, I think that's right. And akin to uh, being the father of a family. I mean, I think, mm-hmm. you know, the pater familia, the, you know, Christian version of the pater familias, you know, the way you live out your Christian vows, your, your Christian, your, your baptismal uh, status, right? Mm-hmm is as right the 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 leader of your your family and uh and that sort of thing um yeah that's uh um those and those those analogies right those are really concrete right like i mean this is why i think you know so often you know monarchs are often thought of as the you know referred to as the father kind of uh figure of the uh of the realm uh you know especially when it's a, a king um but that's you know that's not like super abstract, right? Mm-hmm. Or conceptual, right? You're like, okay, I've you know I've got the fathers of the family, and they need to rule the family in a way that's Christian, and, and they need to take care of temporal things, but they also need to look to eternal things, right? Yeah. Oh, and we have something similar here, you know. So I mean, I, I think that's part of the attraction too. Yeah. So um, 
let me offer a third uh, idea right, okay. uh, for why it is that monarchy is appealing to Christendom. And that is its uh, pyramidal structure, right? So, um, you know, the church has the, probably the, I would say the dominant and really most coherent model, in my view, for um, for the organization of Christendom is that of a sort of pyramid. Mm -hmm. And you see this, um, you see this in the letters of St. Ignatius of Antioch, um, as far as the church itself. I see. Okay. Right, right. Right. So the, you know, the liturgy draws the populace into God, the father through what, through the clergy, uh, mm -hmm. the bishop, the patriarch, right. Um, mm -hmm. Christ himself. So you imagine like the church is structured this way, right? A right, bunch of priests right. and and then bishops and then patriarchs and mm -hmm. Christ on the very top who takes us into the bosom of the Father. Mm -hmm. uh, and that participation in Eucharistic communion is climbing up that pyramid, being right. one person being taken up into the next, into the next, into the next. Mm -hmm. um, and the social organization then the secular organization then comes to sort of bear the stamp of Christianity in a similar way. Mm -hmm. Right. Mm -hmm. So there's a, if, if Christianity is about restoring communion uh, and, um, and overcoming the problem of dissolution of the human right. family. Due to sin, yeah. Mm -hmm. Right. Monarchy is a good model for establishing that. Yeah. Yeah, I think that makes sense, and I, and I like the the use of the phrase there, uh, uh, communion. Uh, you know, because I think it's so interesting. You know, our form of polity at this point, right, is so conceptual and abstract, right? It, it it's almost as if there's no such thing as the nation anymore. Right, as as if it was a natus, right? So that there's some some sort of common birth, right? Yeah, yeah. Um, it's almost purely legally defined, right? Purely and and almost purely conceptual, right? So it has very little to do with at least the theoretical way we talk about it. The fact that you're you're from a certain people in a certain yeah. place, right? There's very little that's concrete to it. Whereas if you look at the way you know, like say the the church is structured. Again, this is a this would be a spiritual level, but there's real relations there, right? You know, I mean, ultimately the real relation, one of the real relations there being, you know, the relationship of the son to the father, right? And then we're incorporated into the son, right? And then we become sons of the father, right? And, mm -hmm. and as such, brothers and sisters to one another, right? So that there's this whole set of real relations, right? That undergird right the reality of the church mm -hmm. um and um that fits very well i think with a monarchical scheme kind of as you're suggesting right when we think of a um the real relationships that are involved in a in at least historic again not just every model you could have but the um historic christian monarchies right have been familial and hereditary right and, you know, sometimes there have been some sort of fantastical notions about the heredit hereditary right of kings, you know, that maybe, you know, uh, they're descended 
from you know specific stock that gives them you know uh-huh. there's something special about that i mean i think that's sort of not that persuasive obviously it, but it's, it's uh, actually i mean you see that in the ancient pagan world sure yeah right, uh, right but it's yeah. not it's not really that's not the way christians have tended to think about it actually. that's right yeah yeah and, or at least should not and uh but what we can say is the reality is you know um that certain families come to the fore uh and because of their service to the common good um uh, at least maybe even in fairly rough forms if you're talking about early medieval periods um but eventually you know sort of ennobled by law and custom um you know that that political authority the seat of political authority the subject in which political authority resides right mm-hmm. is one that's embedded in something that's real not just chosen right yeah um yeah, yeah not just something that's up to almost kind of a consumer mentality, right. but something that's real, right? Namely family relationships. Yeah. Um, and, you know, it's interesting, you know, into these kind of arguments against monarchy that's, that sort of began, you know, in the, in the late you know, mid middle enlightenment period, and, you know, maybe even earlier, um, maybe some fringe, you know, anti-monarchical movements or, or thoughts, but, you know, why should, you know, the luck of birth, you know, that was kind of like the, like, well, you're no more qualified than anybody else from the luck of birth, you know, kind of thing. But I think, you know, in retrospect, that makes some sense, you know, maybe like it doesn't, you know, just because you're born as so-and-so, why does that mean you should be king? But on the other hand, you also think, well, just because you're really persuasive, does that mean you should be the king, right? Mm-hmm. You know I mean? I think in retrospect, we've learned that uh, consumer politics, to put it that way, maybe doesn't have much, you know, like, yeah, is let it, me is ask it obviously question. that much better than hereditary uh, title, right? Let, let me ask you this question, right? Um, are there some things in life that ought not to be the subject of choice? Yeah, there you go. Yeah, yeah. right. And I uh, think, yeah. mm-hmm. I, I think the, 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 the model of monarchy presses that question. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, um, and, you know, I think, one of the reasons we as Americans have such a difficult time with monarchy, mm-hmm. um, ignoring the fact that when we were actually working on our constitution, monarchy was one of the models that was considered. Sure. Okay? <laughs> I mean, it, it wasn't yeah. considered ridiculous, right? No, uh-uh. um, it was a legitimate option. Yeah. So um, one of the reasons I think we have such a difficult time with um, understanding monarchy is because we've sort of inherited this enlightenment idea of of um, social contract theory, right? Mm-hmm. Social atomism. Right. Whereas you're you, the individual. We got a bunch of individuals running around, and right, we right. negotiate the relationships uh, to which we commit ourselves. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, monarchy actually doesn't buy that, right? It doesn't. Right. <laughs> It's not on that model. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah, I think it's yeah, it's it's fascinating, right, to think about in those terms, Rich. Because I mean, if there's anything that characterizes our contemporary society, is that everything should be subject to choice. I mean, yeah. right down to your gender and to your your you know, yeah. your. I mean, like to in spite of nature and physiology, right? I mean, you know, um, uh, one of the things that Kant you know lays out as part of one of the markers for modernity, right? is that freedom involves a transcendence of nature right yeah uh, you know where you know <laughs> my, my aristotelian 
bones, you know, but you know, whereas, you know, from a Christian monarchist point of view, right. Um, again, I, I recognize that there are, are, you know, weaknesses in any uh, regime, but has, has the opposite to say both for the subjects, but also for the, for the monarch, right. Like you don't uh-huh. like, you don't compete. You should, you're not supposed to compete to be the monarch. Right. Yeah. yeah. That's a matter of matter of hereditary right. And so if you're the, you know, the sixth son, um, you know, like so, that's yeah. not going to be your job. And whether you like it or not, if you're the second son and you kind of wish you were the sixth son, right. Yeah. You're kind of like, yeah. I would rather be a poet, you know, right. <laughs> like too bad for you. Like it's, yeah. if that's your job, it's a, it's your duty. And that ties into all sorts of things about, I mean, again, you think about it, family is, is ordained by god it's yeah. part of nature it's part of the created yeah. order it's part of the sacramental order um and there are all kinds you know, of implications for the fact that this is the family into which you were born that's right that's right yeah that's true and of to, the monarch as as it is for anybody else yeah so i think it's one of the things that monarchy affirms for mm-hmm. the culture right mm-hmm. now let's mm-hmm. let's look at that actually in light of um the concrete situation of um the present royal family in england Mm -hmm. so you had um queen elizabeth's uncle had been king Uh for about a year before he abdicated um for very personal reasons because there Mm. were things he wanted that he couldn't have as king right yeah uh and um and that put queen elizabeth's father on the throne right okay and he was very upset about that fact and um (laughs) it was enormously scandalous for england the um you know the you you there were there were some pretty deep scars and bad feelings over that Mm -hmm. and you know one wonders um you look at the life of Queen Elizabeth and she ascended sure. to the throne at the age of 25 and reigned until mm. she was 96, um, 70 year reign. And, um, and, and all that time you wonder, well, how old does she need to get before she steps down? Mm-hmm. I, I kind of personally think, I don't know for sure, but I personally think that um, one of the reasons she became so resolute in mm. ascent to duty was the the bad model of her uncle sure that she right. did not want to display right right i think that's probably true and also i mean i think that that, that you know that the office isn't just something dispensable like right uh, oh yeah like he, well you know it was fun for a while but now i'm done yeah <laughs> right you know uh, well so it's, so strictly it's speaking you duty. have a choice you mm. can't be compelled to be the king and sure and so you could abdicate Mm-hmm. But is that the morally right thing to do? Is that, yeah, especially once you tie it to family, right? Right. Like, I, I could I abdicate being a father? You could abandon your family. Yeah, but it says it seems pretty pretty bad, right? Then you might go and to hell. Then, that's right. <laughs> and then let's say, you know, probably the more analogous thing is, okay, say so you're the son, right? You could abdicate your inheritance, uh-huh. right? You you could do that, right? Um, but that would like the the cases in which that would be acceptable would be pretty rare 
uh-huh. right? You know, uh, uh, for the most part, that would be an impious thing to do. Yeah. You know, think about it if you're, especially in older societies, like maybe you're the heir of the family, but you have other family members, you know, that need to be taken care of, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, that sort of thing. Or maybe you have a family business in which many people are dependent upon that business for uh-huh. their welfare, right? You're inheriting not just prosperity maybe for yourself, but also duty, responsibility, right? Yeah. Um, and uh, that that goes back to this whole issue, I think, of, of the virtue of piety and the virtue of um, living up to unchosen obligations. Right, right. <laughs> That's know? a concept. I'm telling you, that idea of unchosen obligations mm-hmm. is a concept that we as Americans today simply do not grasp anymore. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and I and I think that's a really serious problem. I think that if we fail, if we can't wrap our heads around that idea again, mm-hmm. I'm not sure how much future there is in a society. Yeah, I think that's true, Richard. I think, you know, there's a lot of different ways to kind of think about. Think about that, right? I mean, you could I remember taking a political survey once and in there there was as an option was various ways of thinking about patriotism uh-huh. right and one of the options was well to be proud of your country is irrational because uh-huh. you didn't choose to be a member of it right yeah and it was like wow you know now you know can you can you have piety without monarchy yeah i think you can uh but certainly monarchy is a powerful symbol right of piety yeah right because that's kind of what we're talking about right is like by piety i mean this unchosen obligations right unchosen obligations to your to god to your family and to your country right yeah Yeah, those are things you didn't choose so but they're things that you have that you are obliged to reverence right 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 yeah and i i I just i think first of all that's like the fourth commandment right (laughs) Right. (laughs) um we could I guess we could try to scratch out the fourth commandment, but um, that's not going to be a very Christian thing to do. <laughs> that's right. You know, and I, I think, um, I just don't think you've got a functional society if you don't have that concept. Yeah, I agree. I agree. Um, now, that being said, you know, I think a really practical question would be, of all the political arrangements possible, mm-hmm. which in themselves may be good, right? Mm-hmm um which of which among them best conduces to the development of that virtue mm-hmm. and an argument can be made for monarchy sure yeah yeah i mean yeah especially insofar as it it looks very much like family because it yeah. is family right uh-huh. <laughs> i mean you know um and and you keep kind of uh, you kind of keep coming back to that point piety makes sense when there's a reality right of unmerited gratuity and unmerited um blessings right Mm -hmm. so you think about you know i think i'm blessed to live in my country even if it wasn't as good as the united states is it would still be the case that all the good things in my life many of them put it this way in the aggregate flow from the the community that I'm a member of. Right. Right. And so I should be grateful, right. To the degree that it has law and order and decent prosperity and all those sorts of things. Those are things that I should be grateful for. Yeah. Um, 
and it's a, it's a, because there's a reality there, right? And that's what I keep thinking about with this monarchical situation is the reality of family order, the reality of family relationships, the reality of somebody who has a sacramental relationship with God and then a new kind of relationship with his subjects. Um, that those are all realities, right? Yeah. That aren't up to my choice. They're they're there, you know. Yeah. And if you're uh, not thankful for having received them, then you're a bad person. <laughs> that's right. The problem's with you. <laughs> that's right. That's yeah. right. Absolutely. Yeah. I think so. I think so. But yeah, those are all, I mean, I think interesting um aspects about uh um Christian monarchy. You can see how they um what why they're attractive. I'll just throw in one last bit here and then we can maybe uh, wrap up. But it seems, you know, again, it is possible. I mean, thinking as an American and as a patriotic American, you know, it is possible to have personal loyalty to your, your country, your people, right? That sort of thing, especially when there's a high degree of unity in a republic, right? Uh As that fragment, it gets harder, I think, to see, you know? Uh, it gets harder. It's like, what am I personally loyal to? Right. You know, wh- where is that? Whereas at least, you know, with the, uh, a Christian monarchy, if the king's at least even just decent, right, there is a kind of loyalty, like a personal loyalty, right, to the person of the king, right? And and that's, that's very, again, very concrete, right? Yeah. It's not something that's an abstraction. I can say, Hey, the king is kind of like my father. He's not always perfect. He's got his problems, et cetera, et cetera. But he's still my father. Yeah. Right. And I can be loyal to him in that sort of position. Does that make sense? Right. Yeah. So um, before we um, before we kind of wrap up the conversation, though, there there are. I wanted to ask, um, you know, the, the the way the monarchy is structured in England today, it's probably mm-hmm. what, the most prominent, certainly, um, remaining monarchy on the globe. And uh, we look at it and we think, well, the, the monarch is just a figurehead at this point, mm-hmm. lacking any political power at all. Mm-hmm. Um, now, I would say that based upon the conversation we just had, that one could still make a pretty strong argument for the value of the monarchy, mm-hmm. um, even in the absence of any concrete political power. And and I think that, you know, when we look at the fact that England could probably very easily dispense with it if they wanted to, mm-hmm. uh, and yet they choose not to do so, it mm-hmm. suggests that they see the value in it. Maybe, mm-hmm. Even if they couldn't articulate exactly what it is, that they're, mm-hmm. obviously they value it or they would get rid of it. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But um, but I wanted to ask you a, another question, which is, um, are we wrong in the way we perceive the British monarchy today? Is it completely devoid of any political power? Well, given the informality of the English Constitution, right, which sounds for me maybe a little weird, but like, you know, they don't have a written constitution in the same way the United States Yeah, it's does, an right? ethical constitution. Yeah, it's a little more, it's a little more fluid and custom-based. Um, I think it is possible, you know, that, that, that uh, put it this way, a very effective monarch certainly would have a lot of moral persuasion and uh-huh. a lot of moral force 
Um, now you don't know what goes on behind the scenes, you know, and in terms of the various political pressures, right. Mm-hmm. That go on. Uh, but certainly, um, I, I think that, um, you know, and Charles even spoke about this, uh, the new King, you know, Charles, the, the third, that, you know, he's the head of the church in England. Uh, and yeah, I was just kind of surprised. He had a little eight minute, you know, a little talk, um, and uh, you know that's that's something you know actually yeah. you know the there is a royal board that is uh, uh, still in charge of uh, some of the episcopal appointments. I don't know all of the ins and outs of that, which is very complicated. But there are some of those episcopal appointments that are still up uh, to. And the, do they still the occupy seats in the House of Lords? I think so. Yeah, I think some of them do. Yeah. Uh, so I don't know. You know, um, I think there's a, a lot of moral force still. Uh, mm-hmm. If it was the right monarch, it'd have to be somebody like yeah. Elizabeth, right? Who has this sort of uh, beyond reproach kind of character. Yeah. And yet um, she never inserted mm-hmm. herself, to my knowledge. Yeah, very rarely. I mean, only in the ways that were obviously and uncontestably good, right? Mm-hmm. That is, say, like her, um, you know, her activities during World War II, uh, you know, and, and in the post-war kind of leading you know, then she was princess, I guess, but but then and once we became queen, you know, um, you know, sort of leading kind of in a more ways with the restitution or you know rebuilding of England, those sorts of things. She always was a Christian and always said that she was a Christian in pretty explicit terms. Now maybe she could have done more, um, but she did pretty straightforwardly say, you know, that she believed in Jesus Christ and the gospel and all those sorts of things. Every law that Parliament passes, and every um, every law that's passed in the parliaments of of the other um, mm-hmm. the other countries in the Commonwealth, come across the monarch's desk, mm-hmm. and there's supposed to be some sort of response from the monarch, right? <laughs> right. Does yeah. the monarch have actual veto power, or what? I mean, I think that uh, I think under the current thing, that would be cause a constitutional crisis, right? Uh-huh. Under the way it is now, could it? Like abstractly, I think, yeah, I mean, I think it would be cool. Uh, I mean, if you're asking me to be speculative, I think it would be very cool for uh, the monarch to exercise uh, veto. Um, And I think it'd be very cool for the House of Lords to do the same thing. You know, the House of Lords has on occasion voted to veto um, something passed in the House of Commons. Mm -hmm. Um, They all, you know, basically the house of commons just gets to override them by voting it again they don't have a mm-hmm. two-thirds kind of override say that that, that say that has to be the, uh, the case say in the senate if you uh-huh. did that'd be kind of interesting uh but yeah i mean i think these are, are pretty speculative yeah possibilities there are possibilities uh one wonders what kind of situation would be re- i mean it is what <laughs> i have recently thought about this just a little bit because Liz Truss, I believe, is the new Prime Minister yeah. of England, and, and nobody thinks that she's up to the job. I mean, she's like a just not most nondescript sort of functionary in the background. Um, so yeah, I think we'll see about that. I mean, is it always is you know, some sort of disaster possible in which you know? Uh, a monarch could get more uh, a little more say a little more i mean but this way the the structure's there you know yeah i mean um, like am so. i wrong in 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 thinking that the at least in theory the, in theory, the monarch yeah. could dissolve parliament 
Sure. Yep. Yeah. I mean, it, uh, and and that's that's happened, right? Yeah. Uh-huh. Um, and so it's been a long, long time. <laughs> I mean, the, cir- right. the circumstances but. would have to be pretty extreme to justify that, right? But, sure. Sure. But at least it's a, it's sort of a nuclear option. Yeah. It'd be interesting to see what happened. Yeah. You know. Right. That right. that would be. Uh, uh, you could say it, and then you'd see what happened. Well, there, there are. I mean, there are some <laughs> questions. You, you know, you don't you don't ask because you don't want to know the answer. Right? <laughs> That's right. That's right. Yeah. But um, That's right. you know, in light of what you were talking about, uh, sorry, go ahead. No, I was going to say though that if one of the real functions of the monarch is to ensure cultural continuity, to sort of mm-hmm. preserve the culture. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I look at the reign of Elizabeth II, and mm. sadly, I, as much as I admire the woman, uh-huh. I have to wonder if um, she was successful in that. Sure, yeah. I mean, and, I think you'd have to say, as a matter of results, no. Um, uh-huh. Did she did she do her bit? I think, yeah. Could she have done more? I don't really know because I don't know. We, we don't what, know you know what's going on behind the scenes so the I mean, prudential question right mm-hmm. of whether she should have exercised some nuclear option at some point mm-hmm. in her reign to mm-hmm. to kind of prevent things from going in the direction that they did mm-hmm. um where the christian culture in england is now almost extinct mm-hmm. um could she have done it should she have tried it well, we don't really know the answers to those questions. We mm-hmm. can't know the answers to those questions, mm-hmm. I guess. But but I have to. I I wonder about them. Yeah, sure, sure. I'm sure she did too. I mean, I I, uh-huh. I, mean, I, I would imagine. Um, I think. Um, yeah, it's hard to know. Hard to know. I mean, I think an interesting. Um, uh, yeah, I mean, I've, I've sort of made my own sort of speculations. I've kind of thought about those sorts of things, and uh, uh, but um, you know, um, it might have been helpful for her to do that, just sort of protest, right, and then see, mm-hmm. you know, sort of um, see what happens, how the chips fall. Um, yeah, you know, um, you know, it might might have been might have been worth it. I mean, I think one thing that's kind of interesting in our own. Uh, sort of ecclesial polity right um and this we're wrapping up here but not to go down a rabbit hole too much but you know the abdication by benedict right is mm-hmm. interesting in these terms not that in the sense that he couldn't abdicate right i mean it has happened and he did it and so it can be right i mean it's not outlawed right but it does seem in some way to kind of like um take a little bit of the awe off yeah. of the you know what i mean a little bit of the ma- 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 uh, majesty right of the thing mm-hmm. does that make sense i do and i i mean that's really the thing well you know that i'm i'm uh i'm a pretty strong ratzingerian right mm-hmm. i mean my theological perspective is sure is very closely aligned to his um this is one of two things about which I, i'm in strong disagreement with him mm-hmm. on uh the first is his love of cats and the second is <laughs> his, his belief that he should have abdicated or whatever you mm. want to call it you know sure. step down from the chair of peter uh i, I think he shouldn't have done that mm. i mean I, I don't get to make that call but um sure but you know like our conversation here today 
I think says everything that we need to say about why that why it would have been better had he not done that. Sure, kind of like with Elizabeth not stepping down, right? Yeah, I mean, it did sort of add something to it that it just kept going, right? And you know, so that she carried it all the way through. She'd received this office, yeah, and she carried this office all the way through to the end. Yeah, right. You know, uh, but anyway, that's well, good. That's good. Yeah. Well, um, yeah, that's probably a good place for us to uh, to stop this discussion and. Um, Anyways, good discussion. So, thanks for your contribution. Um, I'm sure our listeners learned uh, learned an awful lot. Great, yeah. Thanks a lot, Rich. It was a lot of fun to think about, uh, and I hope everybody found the comments useful, edifying. Uh, Until next time, God bless.